Our Father, once again, we thank you for the privilege and the joy of worship, being able to gather together as your people, called out of the world to gather unto Jesus Christ. That's who we are, the church of Jesus Christ, members of this incredible body for which he gave his life. As we open the word now to hear you speak to us through your Holy Spirit, Father, give us receptive hearts, give us discerning minds, give us willing feet to do whatsoever you would say to us. May we focus upon the one that we continue to focus upon the one that we have been focusing upon from the time we started our meeting today, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. Lord, help us to leave here today with that on our hearts, the sweetness of Jesus, the preciousness of his name. Give us a new perspective of our Savior, the one we call Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now, I am addressing us as Christians here. I understand and I realize, of course, that there's some who might not be Christians because you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Such a joy to have you here. And our intention is to show you the joy that we have as believers, the richness we have because of who we are in Jesus Christ. And we trust just by seeing us, viewing us, love one another, and how we submit ourselves to the Lordship of Christ and his word, that you will be attracted to the same Jesus. So we welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are going to be speaking to members of the incredible body of Christ. We call ourselves Christians. Isn't that right? We call ourselves Christians. Now the word means Christ-bearers. Those who bear Christ. Christ reflectors, those who reflect what Christ is like. It means Christ-like ones. It means to bear his character. It means to bear his message. It means to bear his principles. Yet it is amazing how many bear the name without bearing Christ. It seems that when we get into the workplace... We don't bear Christ anymore. We don't reflect him in our integrity, in our attitudes. But when we come out of the church like this, we bear his name. That's not what he intended. We need to get another perspective, another look at what it means to be Christian. Not a Christian. I've come to the point now where I separate, I define a Christian and Christian different. Because I've found that it's quite easy for a person to profess to be a Christian without being Christian. You understand what I'm saying? We do not want to be a Christian. We want to be Christian, something that has to do with a transformation in our lives, not just a tag we bear. For many, being a Christian merely means joining a church or getting a security code or a password. So when you get to heaven's gate, you put in your password or you put in your security code and the door opens for you. That's all Jesus means to many of you who bear the name of Christian. You don't talk like a Christian, you don't behave like a Christian, your attitudes are not like Christians, but you bear the name of a Christian. For many, 
the Christ that they're supposed to bear. And being a Christian, they know less about Christ than they do about Osama bin Laden. That's true. You'll find some Christians be able to tell you more about the terrorists today than they tell you about Jesus Christ himself. Also, for many, our knowledge of Jesus is so distorted by tradition and folklore that we really don't know the Jesus of the Bible as much as we think we do. Now, I'm going to do something we did on last Lord's Day to, to the faithful few who were here. That's a jibe, all right? Last Lord's Day evening. I asked them to do something, and I'm going to ask you to do it as well. I want you to close your eye for a moment. Please, humor me. I'm not going to take your money. Just close your eye for a moment. Everybody's eyes closed. Now picture in your mind a large, juicy T-bone steak. Okay, open your eyes now. What do you, did you see? Did you see a raw steak? How many saw a raw steak? One, two, three. See, they like to cook. But what about a cooked steak? Maybe like this. How many saw that? See there, boy, you all really want to eat it. But one of those pictures came to mind or something similar. Isn't that right? Now, please close your eyes again. This time, picture in your mind, Jesus. Now, open your mind. What did you see? Did you see this? The Holman Christmas card portrait. How many of you did? Now, now tell the truth now. Mm, very interesting. But normally, this is what we see. Long hair, white skin, blue or brown eyes, tall and handsome. Is this a biblical portrait of Jesus, really? Is there anywhere that we have a description of Jesus in the Bible? There are some. Man of sorrows, acquainted with our griefs. He on the cross said he was like a worm. You remember that? There's no indication anywhere in Scripture to see Jesus laughing. Isn't that amazing? He was grieved, but never said he smiled or he laughed. But yet that's from how many of us see Jesus, how we perceive him to be. This is a false perspective. The same way we had the folklore that there were three wise men who were kings who came to see Jesus. How many believe that? You shouldn't believe that after preaches. But we have that perception, don't we? In fact, we see these three wise men who are kings coming and worshiping the little baby Jesus Christ in the cave. Does the Bible teach that? No. First of all, these wise men were not kings. They were not probably three. Probably three, maybe they were much more. In fact, they were king makers, and they were probably some students of Daniel himself. That's how they came to know about the promised Messiah. But that's folklore. That's the idea we get in our minds. That's how we get an idea of who Jesus Christ is for many. When we pray, we close our eyes. We see Jesus either as this or perhaps as a my-looking shepherd like this. How many of you saw him in that way? Sure. But you know there are others who see him as a black Jesus. Like this. Oh yeah. Those pictures are selling like crazy. Because people are trying to see Jesus in their own image. Long hair, notice that, still long hair. Black or brown eyes, handsome, well-built. 
But then again, we see black Jesus like this. Soft, tender, smiling with a long robe. That's how many see them, see him. Now, none of these views or perspectives are probably correct. In fact, they are not correct. But that's how we perceive our Jesus, something along those lines. That's how we want him to look. But these are perspectives based on folk or what we will call tabloid theology. Just a gossip, you know, we call it sip-sip. Many people have sip-sip theology. They hear this, they hear that. And they build their theology around that. Things pass down to us without our evaluation to see if they're true. That's folklore. That's tabloid theology. Where did you get your perspective of Jesus Christ? From the scriptures or folklore? But now, before leaving this part of my message, because we're going to talk about getting a new perspective of Jesus Christ in 06, and that's my pursuit, because I believe I need a new perspective of Jesus Christ. But let me show you just what the last, the latest scientific results are by those who are interested in answering a question. This is the question. What did Jesus really look like? You'd be surprised to know how many people are asking that question and trying to find out. Well, there was a group of people who actually did that. These scientists, and because of the modern technologies they go, they can study people in a certain area, find out how, si- how tall they were, and all kinds of things like that. And as a result of information, they could come up with a picture of a person who lived 2,000 years ago. Look at this. This article was called The Real Face of Jesus, advances in forensic science and reveal the most famous face in history. Forensic science. These are people who try to put things together, little evidences. You know they could get a bone and they could come up with a picture of a whole person and tell you exactly what they look like. Well, these are the guys. First of all, they looked at his hair because everybody has them as long hair. And they said, now it is true. They found many... References to Jesus in the first century as him having short hair. And then they went to 1 Corinthians and they read, If a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him. And right away they decided Jesus didn't have long hair. And so he probably had short hair, they decided. Appropriate for men at the time. And there's a lot of proofs to back this up for men who lived in that age. He had short hair. But then he went to Jesus' height. Most of the pictures see he's tall and lean. But from an analysis... Of a skeletal of skeletal remains, archaeologists have. I'm reading now from this article. Archaeologists have firmly established that the average build of a Semite male at the time of Jesus was five feet one inch. That's average. Maybe it could be shorter or long, uh, higher. With an average weight of about 110 pounds. Since Jesus worked outdoors as a carpenter until he was about 30 years old, it is reasonable to assume he was more muscular and physically fit than westernized portraits suggest. His face was probably weather-beaten, which have made him appear older as well. And this is the picture they come up with how Jesus probably looked. Now let me ask you a question. Can you get used to this view of Jesus? This is, poor, this is probably more accurate than any other portrait you have seen. Can you get this view perspective of Jesus in 2006? 
That's hard, isn't it? You need a paradigm shift for that. You've got to change your thinking altogether. But I want to suggest to you that we need to do that when we come to think about Jesus. We need a new perspective of Jesus Christ today. And so today we want to see Jesus for the first time again. We want to see Jesus for the first time again. In other words, we want you to look at Jesus, although you think you've seen him before, as though this is the first time you're seeing him. We want you to see Jesus for the first time again. Last week we showed the film put out by Bill Bright in the varsity at the time. It was called Jesus, a man without equal. And that's who Jesus is. A man without equal. We've got to stop trying to put Jesus on our level simply because he was a man. Which has a contradiction. He was a man, he was on our level. Oh, yes. But he was more than a man. We want you to get another perspective of Jesus Christ. We want to talk about the sweetest name we know him by. The name of Jesus. Think now. Close your eyes and just say these words. Jesus. Oh, how sweet the name. Let's go back to the Christmas story. We miss so much about Jesus when we tell the story of his birth, only from the perspective of a holiday of gifts and, pre- and parties and so on. And all of these focus on us rather than him. That's amazing how we've distorted Christmas. The focus is on us, not him. So let's look at the name Jesus. Let's see if it has anything to say to us today as we see Jesus again for the first time. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. You've read this story again and again. And all we're going to do is go to Scripture and let God speak to us from his word. That's all. We want you to see Scripture, perhaps, for the first time again as well. These verses. Verse 26. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of situation this was. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall name him, everybody say it, Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy child shall be called the Son of God. Let's get a new look at Jesus. Now, of course, these events occur before, prior to the conception of Christ, of Jesus. The text says, you will conceive. She hasn't conceived yet. So we're looking at something 
a pre-announcement, as it were, of the birth of Jesus. Now notice what here. His name was a divine predetermined name. Notice what the text says. You shall name him. This is not a suggestion, folks. Mary, Joseph didn't have a choice here. This was a predetermined name. This was a name chosen from before the foundation of the world. Here is the mystery. This was the name chosen in the councils of heaven. Not by members of the angelic host, but by members of the triune God. Get it now. Get a new picture of Jesus Christ. His name. Chosen from before the foundation of the world by the triune God. Who makes up the triune God? God the Father. God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus had a role in choosing his own name. No one else born on the face of this earth has ever had that opportunity. Isn't that right? Did you have something to do with your name? No, some of you wish you hadn't been named that. In fact, I was listening to a speaker the other day and told a story of some kids next door got some puppies. And he went out to look at them and he asked the young girl, boy, these are beautiful puppies. What are you going to name them? He says, well, we don't know yet. He says, what do you mean? He says, we're going to wait for a few weeks and see how they behave. We're going to name them according to their character. And the speaker said, boy, that's be something. Name the dog. He comes at the door every time. The master comes. Every time the doorbell rings, he makes noises. He barks. But these kids were on to something. They were going to name that puppy or those puppies according to their character. After the fact. In the New Testament times, parents used to try to prophesy what their kids would be like by giving them a name meaning something. This name for Jesus was chosen by the triune God before he was born. This was the uniqueness of this one we call Jesus. Chose his own name before coming into the world. Jesus, oh how sweet the name, divinely chosen. Divinely chosen. Remember that. But now, let's look a little deeper into this name that was chosen by the triune God before the foundation of the world. And why is this name so sweet in a believer's ear? Why do we like to repeat his name? Those who really know who he is and has the right perspective on his name. Why is it that believers love to hear his name while unbelievers like to blaspheme his name by using it in a curse form? Why is his name so sweet in a believer's ear? Let's take a look at the passage. It says that his kingdom will have no end. That's Jesus now. This is befitting, of course, of a king who is eternal. Jesus is a king who will reign forever and ever. 
His kingdom will have no end. So Jesus is king. Do you see him as that? Or is he servant to you? So what do you mean? Well, Jesus, give me this. Jesus, get that. Jesus, I want this. Jesus, I want that. See, you seeing Jesus as a domestic, as a servant. And all you're going to do, Jesus, give me this. Jesus, give me that. Jesus is a king. We should be bowing before him and says, Jesus, what do you want me to do? But instead, we say, Jesus, give me this. Jesus, give me that. You've got to get a new perspective on Jesus. The scripture says in here, he will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. Again, this is an evidence of his deity. This Jesus who will be born of a virgin is divine. Because he's being conceived in a human womb by a member of the triune God. He overshadows her. What does that mean? I don't know. But in those words, we have one of the greatest miracles that ever occur being described. The overshadowing of the Holy Spirit to be sure that this one who is born is divine. Jesus, oh, how sweet the name. A unique name chosen from before the foundation of the world. A king, it describes a king. It describes God himself. He says he will be a holy child. Why? Because he was conceived by God himself. God the Holy Spirit. And God is a holy God. Is that how you see Jesus? Or do you take him wherever you go? You bear the name of Christ. But you go to the bar room. You go to the drug places. You take him, the king, the God of the universe, the holy one. You take him with you wherever you go. You bear him wherever you go. Is that a perspective you have of Jesus Christ? He will be called the son of God. Again, revealing his deity, the son of God. A son who bears the character of his father, God. A son who is himself God. He will be called the son of God, Jesus. The son of God, Jesus, the holy one. Jesus, the eternal king. Jesus, oh how sweet. The name. Notice how both his humanity and his deity are referred to. It's impossible to speak of the humanity of Christ without also reflecting on his deity. They just go hand in hand. Why? Because they're speaking of the same person. It's impossible to separate, I say, his divine and human nature, even in his names. People like to say, Jesus is his human name. Oh my goodness. There was no human name like this human name. This Jesus. This name was chosen by Jesus himself before he was born in the eternal counsels of God. Is that a human name? The son of God? An eternal king? Is that a human name? Oh yes. Oh, but it reflects 
his deity. We beheld him as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He came and he veiled the outward manifestation of his glory, but even he was not able to veil it completely. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But let's move over now to Matthew's account, to his birth, and get an even closer look at this wonderful name, the name of Jesus. So sweet in the believer's ear. Matthew 1, I read from verse 18, let the word speak to you again. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Notice carefully now. For the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Now we have the reason. It wasn't given in Luke. But it's given in Matthew. Why call Jesus? For he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel. Which translated means God with us. Oh, this Jesus is God with us. Jesus. Jesus. Oh, how sweet the name. Notice, the inspired writer now gives the reason why he's called Jesus. Notice what it says. For he shall save his people from their sins. Oh, true the cud over this one. Why is he called Jesus? Why was this name chosen before the foundation of the world? Why? Because Jesus shall save his people from their sins. All the implications of this. Only Jesus can do this. Even his deity is mentioned here. Notice what it says. This is a common name, but it has, he has an uncommon job. He saves from sin. That's his divinely assigned job. Vocation. Calling. To save his people from their sins. The implication is that only he can do it. No one else. His deity and his humanity are essentially prerequisites for this job. Jesus. A man, yes. But Jesus, God also. Why? Because he shall save his people from this. And there's no one else like him. He is unique here. That's why you can see he is God. He has the people. But these people need to be saved from their sins. And only God can do this. But Jesus is appointed to do this. No one else. Oh yes, I say that even in this pluralistic society in which we live. There's only one who can save. That's Jesus. Oh how sweet the name. He has a people he saves his people from their sins. Only God, I say, can forgive sins. 
Scripture says this, they'll call his name Emmanuel. Now, this is a little problematic in a sense. He called his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning with us. El meaning God. With us, God. This is really a description of Jesus rather than a name of Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's God with us. Who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel. With us, God. In the scriptures, that's the whole With us comes first. With us, God. The idea is, it's just unthinkable to think that with us would be God. But when he came, he came and he tabernacled among us. He put his tents right next to ours. He lived in the same neighborhood because he was one of us. He's called God because he saves us. He's called Jesus because he saves us. He's unique. He's divine. He's human. Now we could go through many other references about Jesus. And I want to invite you to do that. Get a concordance. And look for the names of Jesus. You know some people say. You shouldn't call him by just his name Jesus. That isn't being polite to Jesus. But it's amazing. Jesus called himself by that name than anyone else. Jesus. Oh yes. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, he is Jesus Christ. But you see, when you read the text and you see Jesus' own reference, it's almost like Christ is the is is title. Same way I am, Alan Lee. Jesus is Jesus Christ. Jesus. Look at the scriptures. Jesus. Jesus. All through the scriptures, he calls himself Jesus. Is it wrong? Oh, no, no, no. That's the name that was chosen from before the foundation of the world. Jesus. His name shall be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In Matthew 26, the text says, When he, meaning Jesus, has gone out of the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. Notice, Jesus of Nazareth. A historical person, a historical location. So many people today are actually challenging the claim that Jesus was a real person. Isn't that amazing? There are people who believe that Jesus is a myth. He never lived on this earth. But when you go to scripture, you find that he was a human being in a historical location at a given time. We have people today who believe that the earth is flat. Scientists. <laughs> we have people who believe that man never went to the moon, that that was stuff made up in Hollywood studios. Man hasn't gone to the moon. He's being fooled, being duped. That's right. And we have people who are saying that Jesus Christ never lived foolishness. He was a real man living in a real place at a real time. In Mark 10, 47, when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, a historical figure. We could go through scripture again and again. Jesus was a real man in a real location in real time. Jesus, oh how sweet the name. He lived and he lives today. 
Inscription over his cross says, This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of Jews. A human name. But yet it attests to his deity as well. Jesus. Jesus. You've heard about the Jesus seminar? That's Samutinai. The historical Jesus. Words were put into a mythical figure to give us what we have today. And that's what Christians are. Mythical people. People who believe in a myth. That's all. And so Christianity is a myth. You know, sad to say for many, that's true to some degree. Because we don't really know what we believe. We don't really understand. Jesus, do you really know him? Listen to Isaiah chapter 45. Declare and set forth your case indeed. Let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? That word there is Yahweh. You could say Jehovah, the true God. And there is no other God beside me. A righteous God, notice now, and a Savior. There's none except me. Yahweh, the God of Israel, is saying there's only one God, and that God is a Savior. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is God. And he's a savior. In fact, he could only be the savior because he's God. There's none like me. He was called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Even unbelievers knew that only God could save sin. Listen to this reply by those who were Posing Jesus in Mark 2. He says, when he had come back to Capernaum, several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word to them. I love that. He was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing him to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above, above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Jesus, seeing the faith, said to the paralytic, Son, notice these words now, Son, your sins are forgiven. Only Jesus could say that. Look at verse 6. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The Jews knew that. They were taught that from the Old Testament uh, prophets. Only God can forgive sins. And here comes this man from Nazareth. Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? The best that ever could be, came out of Nazareth. Nazareth! Could anything good come out of Nazareth? This man from Nazareth, this Nazarene, he comes and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. What was Jesus doing? You know what he's doing? This is what he's doing. I am God. 
The people in the, Jew, in, in the Jesus seminar, and even preachers. I've heard preachers say this. Jesus, even the one of the big... I better be careful here. Glass Cathedral. Said Jesus never claimed to be God. Said he never said that he could forgive sins. What is he doing when he said he forgives it? What is he saying? I am God. Why? Because only God can forgive sins. And so when he says, I am God, he's saying, I have the power to forgive sins. Have you ever heard those words from Jesus of Nazareth? Child, your sins are forgiven. In Isaiah chapter 41, verse 3, the prophet says, I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. What? Your Savior, Jesus Christ. Every time he said to someone, your sins are forgiving, was said, I am Yahweh. I am the Yahweh of the Old Testament. I am God. That's Jesus. Jesus was claiming to be God, a God who saves. And in fact, he's the only one who can do it. He is unique because he alone can save. In verse 11 of Isaiah 41, he says, I, even I, am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. There is no Savior beside me. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me and that's true today even as it was when Jesus said those words or as the prophet said those words look at this one Isaiah 45 declare and set forth your case this is Yahweh speaking indeed let them consult together who has announced this from of old who has long since declared it I repeat these words. Is it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none except me. Did you get that? This Jesus, he was so much like us. But oh, he is so much unlike us. His name, oh, how sweet that name. Jesus. It reveals to us who he is, who he was, and ever shall be. He's called Jesus throughout the book of Acts. We could go to the book of Acts. He says, the name Jesus is no other name under heaven given among men. Look at the text. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucify, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this name Jesus, this man stands here before you in good health. Jesus heals. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. Notice verse 12 now. And there's salvation in no one else. Why? Because he's God. For there's no other name under heaven, the name of Jesus, that has been given among men by which we must be saved. That's a strong claim that this Jesus of Nazareth is God. Who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus who wants to say to you today, child, your sins are forgiven. He is the king who wants you to bow before him and to acknowledge that he is Lord of all. 
He's the one who will reign forever. And there's coming a day. Listen to this carefully now. Philippians chapter 2. For this reason also God highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that the name of Jesus. The name of what? Not Muhammad. The name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus. Every knee will. Not only some. Every knee will bow. Those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And that's what he wants us as Christ bearers to do today. To bow before him and own him as King of kings and Lord of lords so that he might be glorified. Do you know him? Do you know him? Oh, if you don't, why not trust him as your Savior today? Begin a relationship that will blow your mind when you choose Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you know him?